What a time of worship we've already had. Just a reminder that all around the world, there are people following Christ and also suffering for following Christ. And let's make that a matter of prayer, especially for our partners. We have people that we know that we minister with or to that are facing persecution. If you want to know more, you can check with the church and we can give you more information, even about those that Blake mentioned just a moment ago. This morning, we're going to go forward in our study of that remarkable, wonderful book, Matthew, a book that gives us not just what Jesus did, but it gives us his teaching, the very words that he spoke that we might follow God in a way that pleases God. So that's going to be our focus today. Now, if you've not been following along, it might help if I give you some context. Probably I should have done this when we began our study of Matthew, but let me do it now. As we're studying this book, if you look on the left side of the screen, you'll see on the bottom of that screen that the book of Matthew begins with the birth of Jesus and his preparation for the ministry. It ends with his death and resurrection. And in between, we have the two phases of the Lord's ministry, the Galilean ministry, when he is teaching and preaching in the northern part of Israel, and we have the Judean ministry, when he's in Jerusalem and in the regions around it. In the study we've been doing, we've been focusing in on the Galilean ministry. In fact, that Bible journal you've been studying comes all the way through that period of his ministry. When we get to the fall, we're going to start our third journal, and that's going to pick up in the Lord's Judean ministry and carry it on to the end of Matthew. So right now, we are on the eighth week of our study. Hopefully, you've been reading along devotionally, prayerfully, all these eight weeks. But if you haven't, it isn't too late for you to start. You can still get your journal. Go ask at the welcome desk about it. Or if you're watching online, just contact the church and, and we'll accommodate you. We'll do what we can to get a journal in your hands and to help you to do the study. But we're going to just continue on with this study today. Now, some weeks ago, you might remember, we looked at Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, the so-called Sermon on the Mount. Today, we're going to deal with Matthew chapter 10, often called the Sermon on Mission, because in this chapter, Jesus talks about what he expects his disciples to do in the world. That is, how he wants us to minister in the world and to reach people for him to bring the kingdom of God in its full manifestation in our world. So it is the Sermon on Mission. Now, to give you a sense of where it's going to go, you can look here on the screen. The first 15 verses deal with the mission of the 12. Jesus sends out his 12 disciples to travel throughout Israel and to preach to the people. But then, starting at verse 16, Jesus who had been speaking just to those 12 disciples, begins to speak not just to them, but to the church of the future, talking about their mission in the world and talking about the persecution that's going to come to them as a result. But he says that even in the face of that persecution, his followers must be fearless in their witness, and that's what you see in the next verses. 
Then if you look on the screen on the right side, in dark print, discipleship and division, that's verses 32 through 39, that's what most of our life groups are studying today. Jesus in those verses has some powerful words about what it means to follow him, and he tells us that following him won't make everyone happy. Following him might actually alienate you from some people. You may face rejection from good friends or even more painfully from your family because you have chosen to follow Jesus. That's what discipleship sometimes brings, and Jesus doesn't hide that from us. He puts it out there. But he also reminds us in the last two verses of the chapter that for those who are faithful, there will be great reward. And so that's what our life groups are focusing on. Some of you have already been in life group and you've already studied those verses. Some of you will be later, later today, perhaps another time during the week. It's important to be a part of that because this is a, an important part of what Jesus is teaching. These are his words to us and it's important that the people of God read them, reflect on them, talk about them. And with the help we can give one another, seek to live by them. So, Today, in this message, I want to back up and focus not so much on that decision and discipleship and division, but to talk about the commission that the Lord gives to his church, what he expects us to do if we're to be on mission with him. Now, what we have to do is back up to what he says to the first 12 disciples that he sent out. He gives them various instructions. He tells them, I want you to travel light. Don't accumulate a bunch of supplies when you go. I want you to travel light and move throughout the towns of Israel. It's urgent. Don't wait. He also tells them, go to Israel. Don't go to the Gentiles. Not yet. Later, they will go to the Gentiles. But right now, I want you to focus on Israel. But the heart of his commission to his 12 disciples found in verses 7 and 8. He says, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Now, here's what's significant about that passage. Jesus was going about announcing that the kingdom of heaven had come near. And Jesus was going about healing the sick, raising the dead, cleansing lepers, and driving out demons. So what he's saying to his 12 disciples is, I want you to go out among the towns of Israel, and I want you to say what I said and do what I'm doing. I want you to follow in my footsteps. He's calling them to enter into his ministry. And that's in a nutshell, what the Lord calls us to do, to enter into his ministry, to say what he said and do what he did. Now, you might say, well, that, that's fine, but I can't heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. That's not, that's not on my job description. But remember, Jesus speaks this to the 12. Matthew calls them not just disciples, but apostles. It's the only place in his whole book he uses the word apostle. They are sent out on this particular message, a mission, and they are Christ's ambassadors. And he gives them authority to do these great signs and wonders. But when you go to the rest of the New Testament, you find out from the apostle Paul that 
not every individual Christian is sent out able to do signs and wonders. Instead, we've each been given a gift of the Holy Spirit that we may be faithful in whatever God has called us to. You might picture it this way. On the day of Pentecost, Luke says that the 120 were gathered together in prayer in the upper room. The Holy Spirit fills the room, and it's as if fire has descended from heaven, and Luke says that flames separate off from that fire and settle over the head of each disciple. There's a picture of what happens when we come to Christ. We are filled with the Spirit, and the Spirit comes upon us with a particular gift. It's not all that the Spirit does or can do, but we have been gifted, and it's our gift to use, to use in the mission for Christ. Paul asks, is everyone an apostle? Is everyone a prophet? Is everyone a teacher? Does everyone have gifts of healing? Not everyone, but some do. Can all discern spirits? No, not everyone, but some do. Do all speak in tongues? No, not some, but some do. We all have gifts of the Spirit, and we are to use whatever gift God has given us in Christ's name by the power of the Spirit in order to work out the mission of the church. Now, we don't ever put it past God to do miracles, and we pray for miracles, and we trust we will see them as God acts to demonstrate the presence of his kingdom. But just because you're not capable of raising the dead doesn't mean you can't obey the Lord's command that he gives in this passage. The Lord's command is that we say what he said and do what he did. So we should tell people about the kingdom, this unseen but present kingdom. We should tell them that Christ rules over that kingdom. What's more? We should point them to Jesus as the source of their healing and deliverance. And we should do what we can in the name of Christ and in the power of the Spirit to bring healing and deliverance to people. Now, you would think when we do that, when we go forth prayerfully in the power of the Spirit, ministering as the Spirit enables us in the attitude of Christ, bringing His message doing everything we can to heal and deliver, you would think people would say, oh, welcome. We're so glad to hear this good news. We so appreciate what you're saying and doing. That's what you might think, but, well, that's not what they did with Jesus, and here's what Jesus says about that. The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household? Beelzebul, that was an ancient Jewish term for Satan, but it literally means the Lord of dung. And that tells you how some people thought of Christ. And that's how some people Think of Christians even today. You go forth and you seek to serve the Lord on mission and you're not going to get applause from everyone. In fact, many are going to scorn your efforts. They're going to treat you with contempt. 
And they'll do it because they would do it to Jesus Christ himself. But we are not to be intimidated by that. But instead, we are to speak. We are to go ahead and proclaim the message. Jesus says, far from being afraid, we should be bold. Look what he says here. Do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. He says, don't be afraid. The truth is going to come out. When someone lies about you, slanders you, the truth will come out. There is a day of judgment where all the lies will be exposed, where Jesus Christ will be revealed as Lord, where you will be identified as a Christian following your Lord, when everything is going to be put right. That day is coming. So no matter how scorned you may be today, there's going to be a reversal. So Jesus says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of, of the lies that can be told, the rejection, the, the abuse that can be handed your way. Instead, he says, what you've heard in the dark, what you've heard whispered in your ear, that proclaim from the housetops. What he means is this. What the Lord has taught you privately, you need to proclaim publicly. What you've learned of Jesus in church, in your prayer time and Bible study, what you've learned privately, you need to publicize. You need to put it out there. You need to talk about it. You need to make it known. Whether people want to hear it or not, it needs to be made known. That's what the Lord's saying. Don't be afraid. Instead, proclaim it from the housetops in case you are afraid, he adds this. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, there Jesus is not threatening his followers with hell. That's not what he's doing. What he's saying is this. Human beings can only do so much. Human beings are limited. They can insult you. They can deny you a promotion. They can ostracize you. They may even kill you. But after they've destroyed the body, they can do nothing else. But there is a God who has all power, not just in this life, but in the life to come. This is a God who can destroy the body, but can also destroy the soul. In other words, this is a God to fear. Not the trembling fear of a slave, but the worshipful fear, the awe of a follower. To fear God in such a way that you fear no human being. Who are we as followers of the great God to be afraid of human beings? The person who fears God will not fear other people. If we fear other people, we don't yet know our God. And then Jesus adds to this stern word an encouraging word. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. 
So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Sparrow, just a small bird in the markets of that day, just a single coin could buy a couple of sparrows. And yet, that sparrow will not fall to the ground apart from the Father. That's what the Greek says. The NIV adds, apart from the Father's care. Some of your translations say, apart from the Father's knowledge. But the Greek says only apart from your Father, which I take to mean this, that even when a sparrow falls to the ground, I mean, it does fall. It does fall sometimes. But the Father is there. It doesn't fall apart from God. God cares even for this tiny bird. And if a sparrow, how much more human beings and how much more the followers of his son. And so he says, don't be afraid. Even the hairs on your head have all been counted by God. He knows all about you. And there is nothing through which you will pass apart from the Father. He'll be with you in it. His presence will be with you. It doesn't matter what it is, whether it's facing persecution or facing death. The Father is with us. That scripture was read earlier, Psalm 23. I will not fear, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death or the darkest valley, for thou art with me. And God is with you and me as we speak for him. So, in view of these words of the Lord, how should we live as Christians in our world, a world that isn't always friendly to the gospel? The first thing we need to do is embrace the stigma. Too many people shy away from standing up for Christ because they're afraid they're going to be rejected, they're going to be scorned, they're going to be ostracized, they're going to be put down. It is not for the Christian to be afraid of such things, but instead we should embrace it. Just as the apostles, after standing before the Sanhedrin, they are beaten, and when they leave, they left rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus Christ. We should count it an honor to be shamed for Jesus Christ. It is our high privilege to be scorned for that name. It is a great blessing to be known as a follower of Jesus and to be hated for it. Jesus says, great is your reward in heaven. And so we need to embrace the stigma. The truth is going to come out, and in the end, it will be clear that we have stood with God. We have nothing to be afraid of. We need to embrace the stigma. The second thing we need to do is meet needs. Now, we will pray for people, pray for their healing, be open to whatever the Spirit might do in their lives, and sometimes it can be miraculous. Thank God that He has not abandoned us and that what He's done in Scripture, He can and does do even in our day. But you don't have to wait until you feel full of the Spirit's power to minister. There are needs around you all the time. And you can, as a representative of Jesus, in his name, in the power of the Holy Spirit, you can seek to bring healing and deliverance. You can seek to bring help to those needs. 
Now, you can't deal with every need. There are so many. They are infinite. And you don't have the resources to meet every need, but you have been gifted and you have been called. And if you'll stay open to the Holy Spirit, God will direct you to do what you can do. And that is your ministry. Remember, we are to say what Jesus said and do what Jesus did. So we need to go out as representatives of Jesus and minister as he did. That's part of our mission. And then thirdly, we need to speak up. Maybe you've heard that expression, preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. It's a beautiful statement, but the truth is, it's always necessary to use words. Yes, we need to do good works. We need to meet needs. We absolutely do. If we don't do that, then our words are empty. We talk a good game, but we don't walk it. So, yes, we need to do good deeds. But you don't preach the gospel simply through good deeds. You preach the gospel by taking what you've learned privately that's been spoken to you in the dark, whispered in your ear, and repeating it, speaking it to people. That's what is required for witness. So we need to speak up. Jesus said, proclaim it from the housetops. Don't be afraid. Get it out there. Spread the word. I wonder how many times we have opportunities and we hold back because we're worried what the response is going to be. What Jesus tells us is we must not hold back. We must not hold back. We need to speak. That's our mission. So there it is. Embrace the stigma. Be a public follower of Jesus Christ. Meet needs in his name and in the power of the Spirit. And speak up announcing to people, you know, there really is a secret kingdom. It's an open secret. You can know all about it, but you can't see it with your eyes. And there really is a king over that kingdom whose name is Jesus. And he really can change your life. And to begin to encourage people, they don't have to stay as they are, they can be saved, not just in the life to come, but they can start experiencing the wholeness and the salvation that belongs to the Christian in this life. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent the Lord Jesus Christ on mission to save us. And now as he told us, as he was sent into the world, so we are sent into the world. And Father, we want to be faithful to that calling. Lord Jesus, we want to represent you, to say what you said, to do what you did. And we pray that you would be with us, Lord, with us to give us courage, with us, Lord, to, to bring power to our words and to our actions. Lord, we pray that you will help us to be on mission in this community and beyond. We commit ourselves to you and ask you now, ask you now to free us from everything that would hinder us 
and bring us into this place of faithful discipleship. Amen.